Uh, so just really glad that you guys are here. Looking forward to kicking off this new series with you called What New Mystery Is This? As Stephen was already referring to. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going to be camped out most of our time together this morning, walking through uh, the first mystery. And so there's three different times that, that Paul mentions this is a mystery or, or God's mystery, mysterious will or, or some kind of mystery that's going to be revealed to us. And so we're going to kind of set this up this morning and then look at the first um, mystery that has been revealed. So as we get started, as you think about mystery, like what is the first thing that pops into your mind? Feel free to answer out loud. This is, this is some, incurred, the, some give and take. So uh, what is the first thing that pops into your mind when you think mystery? Detectives. Detectives. What else? Clue. clue. Yeah, Cluedo or Clue. Yeah, that's the first thing Tiffany said when I was practicing this. What else? The mysteries of God. It's almost like we're going to look at that. <laughs> Nan's a cheater. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What else? Any other mysteries that pop into your mind? Anybody think of like movies, like mystery movies or those type of things? What else? Surprise. Surprise. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> See who's under the mask. Yeah. What's that? I thought I heard another one. Sorry. Crime scenes, is that what I said? Yeah. So there's, there's a number of different mysteries. Maybe there's some, you know, and maybe some of you have some mysteries that you don't feel like saying. Like, here's the thing. Like, when I start thinking about mysteries, like, there are, like, a few, like, random mysteries that just kind of blow my mind a little bit. Like, so here's, here's mystery number one when I think of mystery is, like, why is it that cutting onions makes, it, makes you cry? Like, why is it so painful if all I want to do is dice onions? Like, why does it hurt so bad? Like, I'm just trying to make a curry or I'm just trying to make this. It should not be this painful, right? Like, and the thing is, like, if I have my contacts in, no pain whatsoever. Everything's fine. It doesn't hurt at all. I'm just like, I could do this all day. But then I have my glasses on, it's game over. And I'm just like sitting there. Why is it cutting onions make me feel like I just lost a loved one? Like, why am I like sobbing? Like, what is it about that? Or, or asparagus. Like, why do asparagus make your pee smell funny? Like, every time I have asparagus, whenever I go to the toilet, I was like, what is this? Like, why does this happen? Like, we even gave Ava asparagus a couple of months ago, and even her nappy smelled funny. I'm like, why? Like, this is, this is mind-blowing. And, and whenever I'm thinking that, I'm like at the toilet, and I was like, I probably shouldn't Google it right now, and then I forget later. But it's like, what is it about onions? What is it about asparagus? What is it about boiling water? that hardens eggs and softens potatoes. Like, think about that for a minute. Like, it blows your mind, right? It's like, and here's the thing. I know each one of these questions could be quickly answered by a 10-minute or 10-second Google search. I could just hop on Google and say, well, there's the, back, the acid or something in the onion, and it makes you cry, and the fact that you have contacts, it covers your pupils, and it does, whatever it may be. Or, like, I know I could find my answer. But it's sometimes, you know, it's just nice living in the mystery, right? It's nice not knowing and just kind of going with the flow. And the thing is, Google actually became a word in 1998. So before 1998, the word Google was not a word. Now it is. Get this. There are 10 billion Google searches every single day. 10 billion Google searches every single day, point, or 15% of those, so 1.5 billion searches, no one has ever searched before. So every single day, there is 1.5 billion mysteries that are being, being looked at that no one has ever looked at before. 
And every once in a while, if I get bored, I tend to, I'll, sometimes I'll get on Google and I'll just like start typing in the start of a question that says, what can I use instead of? And I just want to see what Google's going to suggest for me and see what's, what are some weird people searching for. And like sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, like why would you ever search that? Like, or like why does, and just kind of let it fill in the blank and see what happens or, or how old is. And there's actually a game that Tiffany and I have called Weird Things Humans Search For. And that's what the game is all about. It's just like combining all this data of weird things that people have searched for. And then you kind of, you have to guess and see how weird your mind is. And so there's some, there's some weird mysteries, like questions like, like, what can I use instead of oregano, or, or how old is Scarlett Johansson? I don't know. Like, these are questions that we may have. They're simple mysteries, but then there are other mysteries that are a whole lot deeper. There are other mysteries that a quick Google search won't, won't satisfy. I mean, we could search, we could ask, like, why does the person who smoked for 40 years not get lung cancer, but the 10-year-old kid does? Google search isn't going to help us out much there. Or, or maybe we just hop on Google and we try to figure out, like, what is going on in the very depths of the sea. Like, good luck knowing that. Good luck figuring that out. Like, we know more about space than we know what's going on down in, down in the very deepest parts of the sea. Like, there are deep questions that, like, that I think a lot of us have. Questions like, why do we have fingertips and not toe tips, but we can tip toe, not fingertip, not, not fingertip. All right, did I say that right? I think so. Yeah, not tip finger. All right, so we can tip toe, but we can't tip finger, but we have fingertips, not toe tips. Like, what is it about that? Like, these deep mysteries that we have. Maybe your mind doesn't think like that. I do. All right, so here's the thing. There's some mysteries that we're going to dive into for the next three weeks that are a little bit deeper than our fingertips. They're a little bit deeper than our toe, lack of toe tips. Like, they are mysteries. They are questions that Paul is going to address for us. And the questions are, how is it possible? How is it possible for, for someone to unite heaven and earth? How is it possible for someone to unite Jews and Gentiles, two completely different people groups? How is it possible for someone to, to, to unite the church and, as representation of a husband and wife? And each one of these mysteries, here's what we're going to find, is each one of these mysteries, I think it was already up there, there you go. Everything is united under the lordship of King Jesus. That's what we're going to find. As we walk through these mysteries, that's, what's, that's, what the, that's the punchline. Like, that is the main idea, is everything being united under the lordship of King Jesus, whether it's heaven and earth, whether it's uh, Jews and Gentiles, whether it's he and the church, everything is going to be united under the lordship of Jesus. So in chapter 1, in chapter 3, and chapter 5, Paul is going to reveal to us these mysteries, and then he's going to tell us, here is how that mystery is revealed. Here's how that mystery is cleared up. Here's how it is made known. And so when we talk about, for the next three weeks, when we talk about mystery, and we're using it in this context, I just want to set this up for us. This is how we're going to use it over the next three weeks, is this. Is mystery is something once hidden, but now revealed in Christ. That's the way we're going to be looking at this phrase throughout the next three weeks, is something once hidden, now revealed in Christ. That's what we're going to see today when we talk about heaven and earth from Ephesians chapter 1. So before we dive in there, a couple of, couple of years ago, there were four people who, four friends who went out to the woods, and they were going to like spend the weekend in the woods just being with one another, enjoying one another's company, and they were like, they were all ministers of different churches and, and different things, and so there was a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, a Catholic, a Catholic uh, 
I already said him, a Christian pastor and a Pentecostal preacher. So there's four very different ministers here, and they enjoyed their week together, their weekend. They're out camping in the woods, and it was fine. And then they got one night, they just started debating theology. And as you could tell, there are four very different thoughts here. And so they start discussing, and they cannot find they can't find an answer. They can't find cohesion. They're like, well, what about this? Or what about this? And they're all arguing and they're discussing this and, and no one is able to, to admit the other person is right. And so finally, at the very end of the weekend, they decide, I know how we can find this answer. I know who we, how we can figure out who is, who is right. They, they, were, they were discussing this together and like just a couple of days ago, we noticed the den where a grizzly bear was. So here's what we're gonna do. Whoever can, can convert a grizzly bear Clearly, they have to be right. And so they're like, okay, sure, let's go for it. And then the Christian pastor, he walks in and gets ready to try to convert the grizzly bear. He comes back a few minutes later. He's got a broken arm. They're like, what happened? He's like, well, I tried to baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he didn't like it, and he broke my arm. Next, the, uh, the Catholic priest goes in, and he comes back a few minutes later. He's, he's bloodied, and he's been beat up by this bear. He's like, what happened? He's like, well, I tried to anoint it with holy water and oil, and it didn't like it, and so I ran away. And then the, the Pentecostal preacher, he's like, oh, I got this. He goes in. He comes back next time. He's, he's got two broken arms. And he's, he's been beat up. And they're like, man, what happened? He's like, well, I tried to lay my hands on the grizzly bear and, and pray in, the, in tongues for the grizzly bear. And it, it, he didn't like it. And the whole time, the, the Jewish rabbi is just sitting on the side. And he's laughing. Like, he's like, guys, I, I know how to do this. Don't you worry. Like, I'll, I'll be back soon enough. And so he walks out with a little bit of swagger. He's like, I know what I'm about to do. I know the way to take care of this guy and to take care of this grizzly bear. Go ahead and get him converted. And then an hour passed. Jewish rabbi hasn't come back yet. An hour turns to two and to three and to four. And the friends, they're starting to get really worried about their buddy. So they actually go out and start searching for him. And they find the Jewish rabbi and he is nearly like he's been mauled by this bear. Like he is nearly dead. So they rush him off to the hospital and they they stabilize him and they ask him, dude, what happened? And the Jewish rabbi looks at him and says, never try to circumcise a grizzly bear. It's not a good idea. All right. So yeah. (laughs) What if? This joke has a purpose. <laughs> what if? What if there is someone or something that actually does have all authority of heaven and earth? Like, what if there is someone or something that has authority over every living thing, over everything in the universe? What if there is someone who does? What if there is someone who has authority over heaven and earth, over Jews and Gentiles, over Christ and the church, over husband and wife? What if someone has that authority? There is so much that we can unpack in this passage. Like there are, there's a lot of stuff that Paul is talking about here. And here's the thing, like this is actually one sentence in the Greek. Like Paul is writing one sentence. I can just imagine how many commas there are here. Like Paul's a bit of a rambler, okay? And so he is just making this long sentence, one sentence that we have in 12 verses. There's just so much that we could unpack. Like, if we just sat here and we went verse for verse and kind of walked through this exegetically, like, we would not be eating lunch together. We would be eating supper together. Like, there's just so much that we could discuss, so much that we could talk about. But what we want to do in, the, in light of this series is we want to clue in on the mystery. Let's see what the mystery is. And the mystery is heaven and earth are united under the lordship or under the authority of Jesus. That's the mystery. Heaven and earth united under the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 9 through 11. 
This is how God revealed his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is fulfilled in his own good plan. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. So, what's, what's the mystery? What's the plan? Heaven and earth being united under the authority of Jesus. Look in verse 10. That's what it tells us. Like, this is the plan. Heaven and earth united under the lordship of Jesus. Now, the plan is for heaven and earth to be united. Through whom is doing the uniting? It's Christ. Like, I don't know if you guys tend to do this. Whenever I'm reading, one of the th- ways that you, you communicate significance is through the use of repetition. Like, you cannot miss the repetition in this passage. There are 11 times in this passage that Paul either says Christ, he says Christ nine times, or he says his son and God's son. So there's 11 times in 12 verses that Paul is saying who is doing the uniting, who is the authority. And we cannot miss that. I've underlined every single one of those in my Bible. And it's just like, it's just jumping out at me. It's like in Jesus Christ, in Christ, with Christ, united to Christ. And it's like, it's just all throughout there. So Christ is doing the uniting. And so here's what's important for us to, to realize. So when we think of heaven and earth, I think oftentimes our thought is we think is heaven. So this is heaven. You know, this is where, this is God's space, right? This is where God lives. This is where, where we, where the people who have died, this is, where the, this is where the angels live. So here's heaven. Heaven looks like an Easter egg, apparently. Um, and so then we think, here's our space. It's earth. So this is, this is God's space. This is our space. Heaven and earth, two separate things, right? This is time. This is tend to how we think. Like, this is where God lives. This is where God reigns. This is where, where Jesus currently is. But one day he's going to come back and we're going to get to be here. And it's going to be good. So this is, tend, this is how we tend to think. The problem with that is that is not actually what we see through the Bible. What we see in the Bible is heaven and earth being united through Jesus. So here's more of what we see. And so here's heaven once again. Now here's earth. And what we're seeing is all this area here. It's the overlapping. It's where heaven and earth are colliding. It's where heaven and earth are, are coming together. My art skills are not very good. But here's what, here's what we're seeing. The story of the Bible is, like, is not heaven in this place, earth in this place. They're separated. But in reality, it's heaven and earth combining. Heaven and earth being united. Because Jesus has come, heaven and earth intersect. Because Jesus has come, heaven and earth collide. Because Jesus has come, heaven and earth unite. And it is, it is a blending of these two things. If you think about it for a minute, think about the teachings of Jesus. Do you guys know what Jesus talked about the most, more than anything else? More than he talked about love? More than he talked about hell? Two times more than any of that? You know what he talked about the most? Kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that is what Jesus has spent the majority of his time teaching about. His two top subjects are the kingdom and money. It's almost as if he knows where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's almost like he knows that like, where our money is is going to show where our kingdom is. 
And so here's what Jesus says. Like, just read through the parables of Jesus. They go something like this. The kingdom of heaven will be like a treasure found in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who scattered seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast the woman used to make bread. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Like Jesus just continues to teach on the kingdom of heaven. He wants to make sure that we understand that there is not this separation between earth and heaven, but rather there is this colliding of this. You guys remember when we were learning how to pray? The second part, what does Jesus say to pray? May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Guess what that is? It's a blending of heaven and earth. That is what we are praying for. That is what we are looking for. And so there's this guy, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. And John's ba- John the Baptist's job is just to like announce the coming of the king. He's like the forerunner. He's, he's preparing the way for Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 3, here's what we find. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. Here was his message. You ready? Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near. Or also translated, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is coming. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear a road from him for him. And so what we're finding is like John is saying, Hey, G- the, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming. And then we just find like John, Jesus comes to John to be baptized and to, to, to continue on to this mission to bring this kingdom. And so even John is saying, the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God, heaven and earth are colliding. Heaven and earth are being united under the authority, under the rule, under the, the reign of King Jesus. Heaven and earth are united because Jesus has come. In Acts chapter 1, Acts 1, we find that Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's spending his last few moments with his disciples here on earth, and he's discussing with them. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. So in Acts 1, pick up in verse 6, here's what we find. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? They still don't get it. They're still thinking this earthly kingdom. They're still thinking Jesus is going to be this earthly king who's going to make Israel great again. Like, that's what they're thinking. And Jesus is like, that's not the story. That's not what it's about. We're not looking at separate places, but rather this is the the collision of the two. Here's what Jesus says in verse 7. The Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes among you. And you will be my witnesses telling everyone about me in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, stop worrying about this earthly kingdom. Stop worrying about this earthly kingdom and wait for the Holy Spirit to come and then go and start working on this heavenly kingdom that's coming to earth. So Jesus is saying, you're going to be my witnesses telling everyone the kingdom has come. You're going to go and tell everyone what the kingdom of heaven is like. You're going to go, and you're going to start bringing heaven to earth. Pick up in verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. 
As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men studily, suddenly appeared among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that he has come. I wonder how many of us need to be reminded of verse 11. How many of us need to be reminded of this question, why are you standing here staring into heaven? I wonder if sometimes we just get so fixated and so focused on on getting into heaven that we miss the reality of what we're supposed to do. I wonder how many times we're just sitting here focusing like, and I want to get to heaven. I don't want us to like think it's bad to want to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is how many times are we just so fixated, so, so, much, so much of our attention is on just getting to heaven where we miss bringing heaven to earth, where we miss helping and being part of the collision that has happened of heaven and earth and bringing it all under the authority of King Jesus. And so Jesus is telling this these people, these men are showing up and said, stop worrying about, stop staring into heaven and get to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and get to work. Because guess what? Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus is coming back, that's what we need to be working for, for people to know him when he does come back. So bringing this collision of heaven and earth. So stop only focusing on getting into heaven, but through the Holy Spirit, get to work on helping bring other people into this relationship, helping bring heaven on earth, seeing these little pockets of heaven everywhere that we are, continuing this, this collision of heaven and earth. So there is a, an overarching theme of our text. I don't want to make sure, I want to make sure that we don't miss this. Is a, I think I already did it. So yeah, an overarching message of our entire passage is God's heart for us. And I think this is really important as we start to see like our role in helping see bringing the, the kingdom of heaven under the authority of Jesus. It's like there's, there's a theme here. God has an incredible heart for us. Let's look at, at verse, uh, starting, in, in verse uh, starting in verse 3. We'll read through 3 through 8. That's why it doesn't look right. That's still an Acts. Here we go. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we have reunited with Christ. Even before he was made, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showed us his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So I don't know if you guys can read that without feeling loved. I know when I read that passage, I feel incredibly loved. I just... God rescued us. He unites us with Christ. Listen to this. Like, he is rich in kindness and grace. He purchased us. It's brought him great pleasure to do this. Like, these are incredible things that we are reminded of, of God's heart for us, the way that God loves us and he cares for us. There are four words that I want us to look at here that are going to give us an idea of what it looks like for us to, to be part of this, this heaven and earth. For us to be part of this unity that is happening and under the authority of Jesus. 
So the first word we're going to find is in verse, uh, verse 3. It's the word united. It says this. It says, All praise to God the Father, Jesus through Je- of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So let's look at this word unite. So we're united. This is what we've already talked about. This is heaven and earth being united. What we're going to find is not only is heaven and earth united, but we are united to Christ and with Christ. This word can also be translated as a marker of location. And here's what, it, here's what we're seeing here is like, if we are in Christ, Christ is our marker of location. We have been marked to and we have been marked with Christ. Our location is marked by Christ. This is the exact same word that's talking about heaven and earth. Just as heaven and earth have been united under the authority of Jesus, so have we been united under his authority. And Jesus has authority, has united heaven and earth under his authority And that includes our lives. Jesus has authority over all heaven and all of earth. And guess who that includes? Includes us. Includes us submitting to the lordship of Jesus. It it includes us submitting to what he has for our lives. And so as we're seeing what we're looking at in this passage, we're talking about even before the world was made, God loved us and he chose us. And some of us, we have conversations about us coming to God or us coming to Jesus. But the reality is, Jesus had been pursuing us long before we ever came to him. Jesus has been pursuing us. He has been coming after us. All all we have to do, all we did was turn around. Jesus has been the one pursuing us. He has been the one after us from the beginning of time. From the very beginning, he has been calling us to himself. And I've shared this quote with you a few times, and I just think it's a powerful imagery. It's from C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair. And in this book, like, there's this girl, Jill and Eustace, and, and they're being kind of bullied at school, and they don't like school. And Eustace has talked a lot about like, Narnia, because he had been there with Caspian and Prince Caspian. And so they've been there, and they've done this thing, and he has told Jill about it. And finally, they're, like, they run behind the play area, and they're in the woods, and they're just like yelling, asking to go to Narnia. And they get to Narnia, and Jill and, and Eustace, they get separated, and Jill comes to meet Aslan. Aslan is the character of God. And Aslan is like, oh, I'm so glad that you're here, now that you can get to the mission that I have been calling you for. And Jill's just like a little confused by this. She's like, what? And he's just like, well, what's on your mind, human? Like, tell me, uh, daughter of Adam, like, what is it that's going on in your mind? And she says this, is like, I was wondering, I mean, could there be so mistake? Nobody called me. You know, it was we who asked to be here. So they don't understand. They're like, no one's been calling me. No, we called you. And here's what Aslan says, and I love this. You would not have called me unless I had been calling you. That's the story. Like God has been pursuing us long before we ever turned to him. He's been after us. He's been chasing us. And so we have been united with him under his lordship. The next is the word adopt in verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. This word adopt or adoption is one of the most beautiful imageries in all of the Bible. 
So what this is referring to, what this is teaching us about is like someone who, who was not part of the family, being brought into the family and giving full rights as a family member. And this is a beautiful thing for Paul to be saying because Paul was part of the family. Paul was a Jew. And Paul is saying, you know what? Everyone has been adopted into God's family now. Everyone has the rights. And we're going to get into that in just a second. And as you think about this idea of adoption, some of Tiffany and I's friends, their names are, are Jared and Ruth. They adopted two boys, McKellen and Henderson. And here's the thing, when they weren't able to have kids, and so they were going to adopt, and they adopted, and they got McKellen, and he was like four or five months old when they got McKellen. And the church, like, they threw a baby shower for him. Like, they were so excited. It was an amazing moment because they had been trying and looking for adopting for like 12 years. And they finally have their son now. And one thing that I love when they throw this baby shower no one was like, well, you know, that's not your real kid. I mean, like, yeah, you, I'm sure you'll like them okay, but it's not a real. No, no one treated them like that. Everyone was so excited because, like, that's, that was their kid. Then when they got Henderson, it was the same way, and they treat them like they're their own sons because they are. And that's the beautiful picture here. Like, we have been adopted into God's family. He has adopted us. And here's one thing I love about God is God doesn't just love you, he likes you. And there's a difference there. If you don't know the difference, you, you apparently don't have tough family to live with, okay? Like, because here's the thing, like, you can love your family, but liking them, that's a completely different story, right? But here's the thing, God doesn't just love us, he likes us. God loves us enough to die for our sins. He likes us enough that he wants to spend eternity with us. He wants to be with us, he didn't want, he didn't want heaven without us. And so here's what we find in, in Romans 8. This is what Paul says. He's like, we have re not received a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. We're not slaves. Why? Because we have been adopted as God's own children. And now we cry, Abba, Father. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago about my brother, Matthew. He used to call my dad this, this phrase. I don't know if you guys remember. He used to say, my daddy all the time. And like, I'm one of six kids and Matthew's the oldest. Like, I get it. There was an identity crisis there. Like he wanted to make sure, like we knew he was still his dad. Like five other people have come and given dad that title, but he would always call him my daddy. Whenever I'd get mad, I'm like, he's my daddy too. And like, but th this is the idea here. This is the Abba father, my daddy. I'm going to come up to him, treating him as he is my daddy. So we've seen united, how we've been united with Christ and how we are under his lordship and under his reign and how we take part of bringing heaven to earth. We have been adopted into this family. And here's where it comes out even more is, is the word freedom in verse 7. He is rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his own son and forgave us our sins. Now, I don't know if anyone else, like when they say the word freedom, they say it in like the Braveheart voice. Anybody, anybody else there? Freedom! Like, and that's always what I think. And I, like whenever I say it, like that's what I'm thinking is just like this shouting because that's, that's, that's this powerful imagery here. So Jesus has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And here's the thing. If the only thing for us was to get into heaven, to invade, to get into God's place when we die, if that was it, we could stop there. Great. We have freedom now. Everything's good to go. Like, my sins have been forgiven. I don't have anything else to worry about. However, that's, that's not the point. And so what we see is, like, we are not just saved to get into heaven, but to get heaven into us and for us to bring heaven to earth. 
And so we know, we've seen what we have been saved from. We've been saved from our sins. I think the more important question that we always have to ask is, what have we been freed for? We've been freed from sins. What are we freed for? If you flip to Galatians 5, verse 13, Paul tells us, he says, you have been called to freedom, my brothers and sisters, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. What have we been freed for? Not to sin, not to just do whatever we want, not to to live it up because we're getting here when we die. No, we have been saved, we have been freed so that we can serve one another in love. Peter picks up on this idea as well in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2. This is kind of the synopsis of Peter's whole letter here. So in, in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, here's what Peter writes. You are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. And when we read that, it's like, okay, cool. Sounds good, Peter. Thanks, man. Like, but when we, when we realize and when we remember, like, the cultural situation, the cultural context of what is happening in 1 Peter, like, this whole, like, respect the king, it's very, very different. It's telling us something so much greater and something so much more. Here's the thing about Nero the king. Nero was not a very nice man. Okay, we're going to put it like to put it very nicely, like there has been some some things that have broke out in Rome and Nero has blamed the Christians for it and persecution is breaking out and the Christians are being traded horribly like they have been wrapped and rolled in tar and put up on poles and lit on fire to light Nero's garden parties. They have been dressed up in animal skins and Nero has taken his his hunting dogs and had them attack them. Think about the Colosseum. The Colosseum and being attacked, Christians being killed by wild animals that they find. Perhaps you've been to Vatican City. And right out front of St. Peter's Basilica, it's suggested that this is the location where Peter was executed. Because right in front of, right of St. Peter's Basilica, there is a place where Nero would have had his, his races that would have went on. And so the halftime entertainment was Christians who would have been brought out to be murdered, to be killed, to be tortured. That was the halftime of the races. So Nero is not a really nice guy. And so when Peter is saying, respect the king, this is a radical call to love. This is a radical call to service. And I was reading in a, in a book called The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. And he quotes this quote from, from Michael Byrd. And I thought this was really powerful. Here's what he says. It says, Nero did not throw Christians to the lions because they confess that Jesus is the Lord of my heart, but rather because they confess that Jesus is Lord of all. Nero wasn't killing them because like, oh, Jesus is my personal savior. It doesn't really matter for anything else because I'm getting into heaven. But the reason Nero threw him to the line is like, no, everything is under the authority of King Jesus. And guess who else that includes Nero? That includes you. You who are under the authority of Jesus. And so there's this, there's this condition that's, that's becoming really popular even as, as phones become even more popular. It's called the bystander effect. Anybody heard of this? The bystander effect? So here's what it is. It's like when people see something happening, but they don't do anything about it because they assume someone else is going to. 
Like, this became really popular a couple of years ago when about a dozen people witnessed a, an abuse and attack being had on a person, and no one called 911. No one called the guards. No one, no one called it in. There's, there's a dozen good videos of it, but everyone just assumes someone else had done that. And so I think, I think sometimes when we think about kingdom, this is what I do not want us to do. I do not want us to buy into, fall into this bystander effect where we think someone else is going to do that. Someone else is going to be a part of that. Someone else is going to help bring heaven to earth. I've got my own thing going on here. I don't really, someone else will do it. This is all of our jobs is, is Jesus has united heaven and earth. If we are under the authority of King Jesus, which we are, this is our job. This is our, this is our calling. So the final word that we see in verse, it's, it's in verse 6, but it's also in verse, one, or verse 3 and in verse four, thir- or 14. It's the word praise. This passage, it starts, it ends, and it, it's in the middle with praise. Like praise bookends it, and it's also in the middle of our text. And this is what it's showing is that praise is a natural response to the love of the Father. And so when we receive, when we see how loved we are, we see what God has done for us, the only way that we respond is in praise to him, in praise for him. And so let's read, read the mystery again. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Therefore, since we have been because we have been united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. Why is this a mystery? Let's just think about that for just a second. Like, why is this a mystery? Guys, in the, in the 21st century, we have a little bit of an advantage from people in this day. Like, you guys remember what we celebrate in December every single year? What do we celebrate? Christmas. Like it's, yeah. What is Christmas? What are we celebrating at Christmas? What? Jesus' birth. Okay, we can do this. This isn't a trick question, I promise. Like, here's the thing. Like, we get a chance to celebrate this every single year. And sometimes, I think maybe it loses its meaning. It loses its power. Not because of Santa Claus, not because of presents. We hear this so much. Can you guys wrap your mind around the fact that this is a mystery because God himself actually came to earth? Wrap your mind around that. Like, how mysterious is that? Like, we're, we can't just be speculating. No one, no one saw that coming. No one's like, oh, this is what God's going to do. I Like, no. Like, that's not what's playing out here. No one saw this coming. But what do we find in our text? It was his plan from the beginning. No one might have seen this coming. God did. God saw this coming. So what is playing out in our passage here is that we are, God sent his own son, his only son, Jesus, on a rescue mission to save us. And as he does, he becomes king and Lord over everything, heaven and earth included. And one of Satan's greatest ploys, one of Satan's greatest lies is for us to believe that we are what you, you are what you did. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Can I tell you who you are really quickly? You are someone that God loves so much that Jesus, his own son, volunteered to come to earth to rescue you. 
That's who you are. That was the plan. That is the mystery that has been revealed in Christ. The cross was never plan B. This was never like, oh, everything's gone wrong. What what, what should I do now? Like, this was the plan from the very beginning that Jesus was going to come. He was going to bring everything under his authority. And in doing so, he was going to unite heaven and earth. And we were going to be included in that. And we were going to be united with him. The plan was for God to unite us, to adopt us, to free us. And the way that we respond is by submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus and by praising him. And here's the cool thing. Jesus has come and brings all heaven and earth under his authority. And as his followers, we get to play a part in this. We get to play a part in bringing heaven to earth. And the way that we love, and the way that we serve, and the way that we work, and the way that we love our families, and the the way that we, we love our neighbors, we are partnering with God, bringing heaven to earth. Let me pray for us.